All right, we're live. Welcome back to another episode. We are joined here by Wit. Bye, dude. I stink at this. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> I know it's hard. <laughs> we're from, with. from the top. From the top. Uh, dude, I don't even want to do it. No, I'm kidding. What's, it, what's going on, guys? Thank you for joining us for another episode of Jean Quinn. Say the name. When the going gets tough. And we have our first guest. By all means, please introduce yourself. I am Trace Cruz. I am from Virginia. Met Sean at Liberty. Run with him, train with him, talk training and health and fitness with him, become close friends, and I'm excited to get rolling. Sweet, dude. That's awesome. Dude, thanks Seems for like coming. you're you'd be a pretty good yeah, fit. Sorry, I just definitely talked over you guys. Oh, you're <laughs> oh good. All right, well, Sean, What'd I think I'm say, gonna, Adam? I was just gonna say I'm gonna let you probably just take the wheel. Cool. And just like start the interview and I'm just going to sit back and be a good listener. I know that's very rare, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> I believe in you, Adam. I think you can do it. All right, cool. Well, yeah, thanks for coming out again, Trace. My pleasure. We, um, yeah, like like we were talking about before we got on the show, we know that like uh, our goal with this and today is like to do it and to learn. And so we're just going to roll with the punches. And, Sounds uh, good. Yeah. We're super excited to have you on as the first guest, I'm though. I'm excited. My first podcast. You'll go down in history as our first guest. Oh, well, go me. I'm famous. Nobody can take that from you. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, tell us. So tell us about how uh, you got to study, because you have an undergraduate degree in exercise science, focus in strength, strength, and, conditioning. strength yep. and conditioning. And then now you're studying um, a master's in exercise science. Yes. With pretty much the same thing. Human performance, strength and conditioning. Awesome. So tell us about why you studied that in college. Uh, tell us about your athletic background, your exercise background, and how that got you to college, maybe. Yeah. So actually, a lot of the story kind of starts and just takes off basically freshman year of undergrad I came into Liberty as an environmental science major mostly because I liked being outside and I thought that we would just walk around in the woods and take samples which you can't do that but at that time I had no idea that exercise science was even a field that existed mm. I knew that a lot of good trainers and coaches had like biology degrees but that's about the extent of formal education that I knew even existed for strength and conditioning and then after my first semester as a freshman, I I don't even know how it happened. I know that at the time, my roommate, Jay Brooks, and I worked out a lot. Okay. And, yep. <laughs> and he taught me a lot about just general health and fitness. And I think through him somehow, I figured out that exercise science was even a thing. And at the time, again, I was really new to working out. My background is really just in basic sports that everybody plays, like soccer and basketball. And I was big into tennis. My whole family's into tennis. So at that time, tennis was basically the extent of any performance-based metric that I had ever even really done. Yeah. And basically, freshman year, it was it was perfect timing at the end of the semester to switch majors, because at that time, it's just prerequisites anyway. Yeah. So started in undergrad, uh, second semester of freshman year and my world just opened up drastically I was learning that there was actually science to training and that like you could actually defend reasoning behind why you did certain things like I was all, always asking friends like hey 
if you sweat, does that mean like you're burning calories? So like, why is everybody not working out in their hoodies and burning more calories? <laughs> and it turns out to all of that stuff, all the bro science stuff, not all of it, but a good bit of it with the right lens, you can actually make it true. Like the whole get a pump and you'll increase hypertrophy. There's actually a lot of truth to that. Mm. So discovering this world of like putting science and actual knowledge to what I was beginning to get passionate about was really cool. So once I got on this path, it was hard charging for eight years now. Nice. That's awesome. So um, for those of you who don't know a little bit of background, I guess like there were there were a couple guys um, that you were close to on the dorm that were like really big into fitness. Yep. Like um, remind me of some of the guys on that hall that were like really into. Listening. So, yeah. So my junior year is actually when um, the dorm opened up that we, that yeah. Sean and I lived in several times, but that's when that dorm opened up and it was, just a, a perfect storm, I guess, of like everybody who really loved fitness and training ended up on the same hall. Like these are halls of like 70 guys. And it must have been like at least at least 30 of us would train regularly. And a lot of that would be group runs and stuff where like we would actually train together. It was incredible. So that kind of melting pot of we had really competitive state level CrossFit athletes. We had a few ultra runners, we had power lifters, we had some really good bodybuilders. So mm -hmm. it just was this kind of perfect melting pot of discussions and debates and trying other modalities and just a really good time of growth where like academically I was learning a lot, but without that real world experiential data, if you will, it was like really putting physical material yeah. to like this conceptual stuff that I was learning mm. that sounds like a really good blend of like you have this like uh kind of like personal experiential knowledge that you're building and you can almost kind of like test the congruency with like what you're learning in exactly. class so you were like you're studying about hypertrophy and about like the set rep schemes and you're learning about like cardio and endurance sports but then you're like when you do it how do you feel because again like everyone's body is different so like so much of exercise science is like guesswork within this range you know like there's not like there's no like perfect center where everyone should fall it's like this huge circle where some people are going to lean on one side some are going to lean on the other yeah, side it's and... a exercise science is a science but coaching and training is an art mm. so it's you use the science and kind of develop your own philosophy and training strategies i love that that's that's a really good that's a really good statement um so tell me about because i know that you got uh, certified as a personal trainer. What kind of certification did you get? That's through the NSCA, the CSCS, so Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. Okay. It sounds really cool, and it is really cool, and it allows me to do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But actually, with my roommate this morning, we were talking, like, anybody can get a certification, but the qualifications is a whole different mm -hmm. topic. So that's a little sidebar, but yeah. No, that's good. But, Maybe we'll get into that in a little bit. But so you did undergrad, you loved exercise science, you were in a community of people that was all kind of driven towards like different types of exercise, mm -hmm. but just like a general like tenacity for yes. fitness, yeah. um, which is a great community to be a part of if you are interested in yeah. that. I think a lot of people don't necessarily have that melting pot of like, 
variation and ideas and like so that's that's really cool mm -hmm. um so you got your certification right after undergrad correct yes. and then you started working at a yeah just a private personal training studio um family friends basically knew a trainer there and got hooked up with them and worked there for two years so I guess 2019 through most of 2021 and during that time I realized that even though I was putting my knowledge to use, I had a lot more room to grow both in knowledge mm. and in practical application. And that was the time when it was kind of really, there were a lot of decisions that could be made. And I made the de decision to come back to Liberty for grad school. And that was about, I've been here for almost two years now. Yeah. Cool. So you took two years off after undergrad. Yes. Just and working as a personal trainer. Working as a personal trainer. And from our like, conversations in the past I know that you were like pretty unsatisfied with like the style of um that small studio not necessarily like those family friends like nothing against them right mm -hmm. but like just kind of the whole approach to yes. like training so that prompted you to start Altera which yes. is your personal training business yep. um so tell us a little bit about um what you didn't like about like mainstream personal training mm -hmm. and then uh what you saw that you were gonna contribute to like be different as a as a personal training studio okay yeah so right off the bat mainstream personal training in general is really really good and i just have this philosophy that like something is better than nothing like almost always something's mm -hmm. gonna be better than nothing so before like I bash your your weekend certification type personal trainers, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not inherently wrong. But shout out to Adam. No, <laughs> right. not anymore. But, but like the <laughs> the passion and broad scale understanding of health and fitness that I had was kind of being limited to like, you know, an hour or two a week with this person who just wants to come into the gym and walk on the treadmill and do some shoulder like external rotations because they heard a physical therapist say it was good for them. Mm. And I think part of that is, again, speaking in general terms, a lot of personal trainers kind of yield to what the clients think about health and fitness. So if a client comes in and says like, I need to lose fat, we need to get on the treadmill, then a lot of the times the trainer will not actually have the the knowledge to kind of back up why that's not always the best thing to do, at least in the long term. Mm. And again, something's always better than nothing. So it was kind of this, like, we were oftentimes babying the clients because it was all about business and we had to retain the clients. Mm. Whereas like, I knew that we could retain the clients and actually help them with their goals and actually make them like look forward to coming into training, not mm. just as like checking another box, but looking forward to coming in to working hard and actually seeing progress in, in, out of the gym. Yeah. So with that, at the time, one of my best friends, who's now the business partner of Altera, was a police officer. And during that two-year time when I um, was taking my, my gap years between education, we started training really hard together. And he realized that he was actually extremely passionate about this field as well. Mm -hmm. So we had this communal vision, basically, that we would use both of our skill sets and combine them and have the main goal of training tactical athletes, which of course he's a police officer. So tactical athletes generally refers to like police, military, firefighters, people cool. in that kind of field. 
So that's really like the where the sites of Altera are pointed. But with that being said, we we really fell in love applying our methodologies and our strategies to general population as well. Yeah. So with Altera, you have a location in Virginia. Yes. Um, and maybe the hopes of opening more locations. Yep. What are the kinds of like athletes that you've trained and what makes your approach to like your programming for them different? Mm -hmm. So as with most businesses, really kind of your, you're just, we refer to them as general population is actually going to be at least in the early stages of business actually going to be what keeps you open unless you're a very niche business. Yeah. So about 80% of our actual business is just what we refer to as general population. Just people who want to get healthier, get moving, feel good, cool, feel strong, pick up their grandkids, just that basic kind of stuff. And then we have some people who are, so we, we come from a, a very military based community over um, on the east coast of Virginia. We have a, a military base from every branch within an hour of us, if not less. Wow. So there's a lot of military personnel that want to stay in shape, want to get back in shape, want to get in shape to go to things like basic training or other training schools, etc. And then our online um, clientele has actually been picking up a lot recently where mm. we have lots of military. Like right now I'm preparing an army ranger for the it's called the best ranger competition it's a really cool competition that i didn't even know about it's like a a three-day long competition where basically they ruck from point to point accomplishing different tasks whether it's obstacle course or shooting challenges stuff like knot tying just basic stuff so that's helped me or it's allowed me to basically do what i think i do best in the fitness realm which is blend strength and conditioning mm. so you'll hear like the term strength and conditioning coach. Unfortunately, in today's day and age, where specialization is important, I grant that, but you'll either have people refer to themselves as a strength coach or as like an endurance coach. Mm. And like you don't, the term strength and conditioning is not really taken literally anymore. And I feel that's a, a disservice to most athletes. I mean, of course you have strength-based yeah. athletes, endurance-based athletes. So yeah, basically what, what I think that I do best through science-based practices and experiential we already talked about how important that is yeah experiential evidence data whatever you call it is actually blending the two together strength training and endurance training cool that's like so that kind of brings us to one of the one of the main reasons i was excited to have you on today um but before we get to that i want to backtrack a little bit because you said something that's super important that i me and adam for sure are really trying to promote in our, in our podcast, in our uh, methodology, in our example that we're trying to show um, of like how we live and train is this idea that when you had clients at your old studio, you had this uh, kind of conflict of interest where your interest was making money off the client as a business, mm -hmm. not you personally, but like you needed that that money from that client to keep your doors open. Yep. Right. But then uh, the philosophy of that was that you at the expense of maybe equipping that client with the tools that they needed yes. to really get healthy on their own and to understand why they were doing what they were doing. So they didn't really need you. And I think that if we could eliminate the barrier between like 
the keep the doors open mentality of like a lot of physical therapists, a lot of chiropractors, a lot of doctors and medicine yes. in general, yes. where it's like keep the population dependent, uh, dependent on you, right? Uh, instead of giving them the tools that they need to take care of themselves. I mean, that's why Adam and I started this podcast is we're like, we were lucky enough to have people show us like what tools we needed to kind of captain our own ship with mm-hmm. our own health and our own fitness. And we also have done a lot of stumbling around in the dark, not knowing, you know, a lot of the science, not having, you know, uh, higher education degrees and not having uh, expert coaches all the time. So for us, like, we really started the podcast because we wanted to encourage and inspire people to say like personal trainer is good. You can go see a personal trainer, especially if you trust their philosophy, but like you're more than capable of, of owning your health Mm -hmm. outside of any gym uh, or any like sports team or institution. So I just wanted to highlight that because I, I love that. Like that was a driving force behind what you're doing now. Um, and I think it's really cool that your, your niche population is military, firefighter, police officer, these like service members, Mm -hmm. because yeah, they have to do everything. They're like their jobs, their lives kind of depend on their ability to like function, which is like, like, right. The name of the game function. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so health and health and effectiveness basically. Yeah. Cause there's a huge difference between like bro science, ego lifting, looking good when you're facing yourself in a mirror and then like functional fitness, like this is going to save my life, save somebody else's life. And I think like if we could turn the, you know, the dial of America's uh, perception of fitness away from like what I look like in a mirror to like how I function day to day and how it like improves my life and the lives of the people around me, whether that's like a life or death situation or just like a I'm gonna see my kids and my grandkids situation um I think that would be such a great pivot that you know someone has to start pushing yeah on on that same page a lot of people think like fitness is an all or none type thing where like if I'm if I'm not a professional athlete why do I need to work out yeah it's obviously totally untrue yeah every every human needs the capability to yeah move if nothing else yeah movement is definitely like the key to life and longevity um for sure so yeah let's talk about speaking of movement let's talk about what it means to you to be blending strength and conditioning as endurance and power okay like two different primarily like people perceive those as two different things you're either a lifting athlete uh, or a running athlete, you can kind of see that in Adam and I's dynamic because Adam loves to be strong and lift. And I don't really care about being strong. I care about running fast or running far. Mm-hmm. But then there's like so much that we could both gain from like the opposite perspective, right? Yeah. So right off the bat, I'm probably, I know I'm not as good runner as you, not even close. And I'm probably not as strong as Adam. So inherently there is. You're probably stronger than me. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> We'll test it one day. We got to get you guys in the gym together. <laughs> there is something that is actually hard to define scientifically. We we sometimes call it the interference effect of like, if you strength train, it's going to take away some of your mm. cardiovascular adaptations. And there are definitely things that we can point out. I don't know if that's within the scope of this podcast. Let me know if it is. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. So right, right off the bat, we're, we're going to keep it a little bit scientific, but 
also understandable. For yeah, we can break it down. Yeah. yeah. So we'll just have it on a spectrum where strength is on one side, cardiovascular endurance is on the other side. Most adaptations actually fall are actually beneficial to both. So we have things like heart strength, heart size, mm. vascular, so like veins and arteries okay. get better at dilating and constricting. Blood flow gets better. Oxygenation of tissues gets better. And this is with both modality modalities. So we'll speak in like modalities instead of attributes. So like strength training and endurance banding training, not strength versus endurance. Okay. So both training modalities have tons of overlap. They actually could both produce muscle hypertrophy. So actually running can make your muscles bigger. But the flip side to that is when you look at individual fiber types. So we have two main muscle fiber types, type one and type two. There's subcategories, probably more subcategories than we even know. But yeah, strength training generally targets the type two fibers. Endurance training generally targets the type one fibers. So if a, a bodybuilder were to start running, you could make a very strong claim that they will actually actively get smaller and maybe even weaker mm. because they're basically training their opposite fiber types. Therefore, neglecting time, effort, training, and energy from the bigger fiber types. So that doesn't mean that if a bodybuilder goes for a jog, he's going to lose all his muscle. But if we're really looking at things really not scientifically, but on, on the micro level, yeah, then we actually do see these traits that actually counteract with each other. Like we have um, chemicals, one of them is called mTOR that is highly associated with hypertrophy. And then I believe the one with endurance training is AMP kinase. So like those pathways actually disrupt each other mm. when they're activated at the same time okay. or within the same I forget that it's probably within 24 or 48 hours. Yeah. But even though we can target that and actually see that that's happening over the long term, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're yeah. actually interfering with each yeah. other. In fact, I know I'm all over the place, but we're kind of bring it back to yeah. actual like application. For anybody who's a beginner or novice, even up to probably intermediate. Yeah. So we'll just say if you have less than two years of training, you're definitely a beginner. And then anything under five, maybe even under 10, depending on how hard you train, you're, yeah. you're an intermediate, maybe past 10 years, you might be advanced, but we'll just talk about 99% yeah. of us, which is beginner or intermediate. Happy to be a beginner. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Lots to learn, lots to gain from. Yeah. So with that being said, both endurance training and strength training can make an individual bigger, stronger, faster, leaner. They can improve their lung capacity and mm. vasodilation, vasoconstriction, sweat rate, all kinds of these things, lots of tissue tolerance type stuff because a beginner or intermediate has so much to gain. Yeah. So I'm at the point Would you where... call that like low hanging fruit, right? Yes, low hanging so, fruit. Yep. Like not to cut you off because I know you got that science down way better than me at this point, but uh, like maybe we can explain in layman's terms like what neuromuscular adaptation is mm -hmm. right so what trace is describing is at the beginning of someone jumping into any kind of exercise whether that's lifting crossfit running playing a new sport you have like kind of a a, a period where like progress is slow and then shortly after the slow progress there's like it feels like a breakthrough mm -hmm. right and in that breakthrough what's happening is your your synapses and your nerves are actually 
getting like they're learning the language that you communicate to them when you do an activity which allows them to basically recruit more of whatever muscle or leverage that you're asking of them right so like in like the simplest way i can think to explain is like if i'm doing a deadlift right when i first do the deadlift if i have you know let's say 30 uh i don't even know would you say like ounces of muscle on the back of my legs that would help me lift that up but at the first time i deadlift i can only get five of the ounces of muscle to Mm -hmm. jump on board with the project Mm -hmm. right and then as my neuromuscular adaptation starts to come through the nerves start to communicate better with more of the muscle fiber and it's like they're little people right like they're communicating better and all of a sudden they're all helping. And when you have many hands, it makes life work, right? Yes. So that's yes, kind of like what you're describing so with that. Basic motor learning. I mean, you can even think of it as coordination. Like we call it inter and intramuscular coordination. Yeah. We can call it, well, these are different things, but like rate coding is like how fast the signal is sent. Yeah. And then like fiber recruitment, motor unit recruitment, more motor units, therefore more muscle is recruited. Yeah. So it's all these independent variables that make up simply put coordination and yeah. like like you said yeah many hands make light work i love to think about it like whenever i was in anatomy and physiology in college like i love to think about different muscle groups different uh kind of like just things in your body as individuals because it helps me understand like the body communicates with itself mm-hmm. way in our subconscious like we have we don't tell ourselves to breathe right but we're breathing all the time mm-hmm. you don't have to think about it and that's so interesting um but would you say, because you just mentioned coordination, would you say that someone who thinks, because I used to think I wasn't coordinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously some people are more coordinated than other people naturally, right? Uh, that's what made like us better or worse at soccer as mm-hmm. little kids, right? But do you think that most people actually aren't uncoordinated? They just haven't tried? Or do you think that coordination is really genetic? Pretty much to everything that we could ever talk about regarding the human body, you could say there's a genetic component, which is kind of, in my opinion, it's kind of a cop-out for like health professionals to be like, yeah, you can diet and exercise, but it's also genetic. Yeah. There's not, I'm not going to go deep at all, I promise, but you have obviously DNA, but certain genes are turned on and off. Some of that you can't control, but some of that you can control. So pretty much everything is genetic. Hypertrophy strength cardiovascular fitness it's all genetic but it doesn't mean that we can't modify it right with targeted control basically yeah so so what i'm taking out of that is like people who feel uncoordinated like i used to feel might not be uncoordinated they might just not have like tried or they might just not have had someone like show them the way yeah so coordination i was just gonna say uh, i feel like also when you're speaking coordination like Coordination in like a sports activity, such as like involving a ball is very different than coordination when it comes to a lifting movement. I mean, like naturally it's, I could throw and catch a ball pretty easily once I got my glasses, of course. But like, once I figured that out, I was like, okay, that's easy to do. But then once I got in the gym and it's like, okay, go deadlift. Like my brain would just go into like total like wazoo of like, what the heck's happening? This does not make sense. Like, yeah. So I don't really think it's like one or the other. I just think it depends on what you've started with. If you start with a really an athletic adventure and you can push your, I guess your athletic coordination into lifting, which is like a great thing to do. 
that can be helpful. But at the same time, if you're a spaz like me, it's really <laughs> hard for you to understand like slow, not- like getting hypertrophy, slowing down your movements to make sure you're mm. like actually activating the right muscles. I think it's kind of a weird mix of both. And a lot more has to do with like the temperament of the person and how they learn. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, coordination, point. just like even like strength and power is still a skill. It's something that you can, you can train. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think we love to drive home the message of like, maybe you're not bad at something. Maybe you just haven't tried it or you haven't tried it long enough. But yep. like I said, there's that, like, there is that period before the breakthrough of mm-hmm. it's not working. I'm not making gains. I'm not getting faster. I'm not feeling more mobile. And then all of a sudden it's just like, floodgates open Mm -hmm. i mean you see that for me like working on my mobility i i have a friend who knows kinetics extremely well and she was encouraging me to basically like i have this chronic muscle tightness in one of my like quads and i can't get it to go away and i stretch all the time and she was like what if you held your stretch for three and a half minutes and timed it and the first minute is just agony Mm -hmm. and then the second minute is like what am i doing here And then all of a sudden, like three minutes and 15 seconds in, it's just like release, Mm -hmm. myofascial release. And you're like, oh, that felt so good. Like, it's amazing. And I think a lot of us without that information would just not not be patient enough to wait that long or even think that there would be value in waiting that long. Yeah. And I think that transfers over that metaphor to like any kind of exercise, any kind of, I mean, even like academic pursuit, just like, yeah, training in any form, it takes like a little bit longer than we probably want it to mm-hmm. to get to that yeah i forget if it's an actual quote or something but it's like you can you make a lot less progress in a day than you think but a lot more in a year than you can think yeah that's good totally yeah i was just gonna say like i was the weakest person like literally bottom of the totem pole when it came to my lacrosse tryouts i was the weakest person and i think probably today when it comes to who stuck with it i stayed with it longer than almost everybody else there so mm-hmm. As, I, as you said, too, it's like, okay, you can cop out genetics. And I, I was naturally super skinny. But at the end of the day, it's like right there where you said you make a lot less progress in a day than you do in a year. Make that six years, eight years. It's like I yeah. stuck with it for eight years. Now I'm here and like all of them stopped and they're all there. Yeah. So it's like yeah. everything's relative to like the timeline in your head. But in reality, yeah. it just, yeah, you can make it for sure you want to. Yeah. I promise we're going to get back to <laughs> wherever we started oh, fine. on this with the strength and conditioning, but that just like one more kind of more cultural, like concept that mm-hmm. what you just said brought to mind, Adam, that I think we, again, as a, as a community, as a, as a tough community trying to get going, um, we have this, this cultural uh, kind of belief system that like change should be instantaneous that we like, have instant gratification via social media and you only see the positive results on social media. Mm -hmm. You don't see the injuries. You don't see the doctor's visits. You don't see PT is not glamorous. Mm -hmm. Like it's not. And neither is, you know, rehab and neither is like starting from scratch. And, and that's what keeps a lot of people out of the door. I think is like, there's this expectation that things happen quickly. Um, and whether, whether that's, whether that's really a product of social media in our, in our day and age, I don't know, could just be a human thing, but I think it's a little bit of both. And I think like we're here to promote just the idea that it's worth it to keep going and stick it out and see 
what might happen if you wait just another minute and a half, mm-hmm. you know, in that stretch, if yep. you will. So, but back to the strength and conditioning, we talked about how you are training a ranger in your online yes. um, program. And we talked about in scientific terms, what happens when someone who is a bodybuilder is running, right? And you said, what what was the term? Interference? Interference effect, yeah. Interference effect. But you promote a lot of content that speaks to the value of a blended yes. uh, approach. So tell us more about practically how would I blend strength and endurance uh, as a runner? Maybe you can speak to both Adam and I individually. Like what's Adam going to benefit from blending some endurance into his training? And what am I going to benefit from blending strength? And yeah, training? perfect. So General philosophy, what I've learned, not even necessarily from the scientific literature, although I'm sure I could justify it. Basically, the main issue is nothing, no like specific interference effect type thing. I've What I've found is basically you have this certain amount of basically, you, some people call it adaptive energy, although it's not a real thing. It's more of a concept that like you can only recover from so much. Okay. So with that being said, like, there are going to be trade-offs. If you if you have this kind of concurrent training, you're not going to be the world's strongest man or you're not going to be... Concurrent being endurance and strength. Yes, yes. And I'll tell you the way around this little caveat in a minute. You're, you're not going to be the, the best marathoner or the best strongman. Mm-hmm. But that's if you use both modalities and the performance mindset. So okay. if you want to get better, if you want to be really strong, you have to train differently than if you, Sean, were to strength train to improve your running. Yeah. So like there's this kind of a difference. It's a difference between, in goal. Yes, a difference in goal. So using strength training is different than being a strength-based athlete. Yeah. And same thing with endurance training. Using endurance training for health and fitness is different than being an endurance athlete. Yeah. So a little bit of that out of the way. What we can do for, we'll start with Sean. He obviously, as you guys, most of you should know, very accomplished ultra runner, at least on the local level. Very, actually pretty new to running in reality, I'd mm-hmm. say, right? Just, beginner for yeah, sure. Beginner yeah. runner, which, I mean, some of the feats that he's already accomplished is, is incredible, especially for a beginner. So <laughs> as a beginner, we've already talked a little bit about the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. he's He's gotten a lot of that low-hanging fruit from the endurance world. Like he's he's already done a lot that he could ultimately do for his cardiovascular and like bioenergetics kind of system. Mm. Most of that is going to be accomplished with the sport specific movement of running. Like he's, right. he's done a lot of running, a I lot spend of, a lot of time running. Yes. Like it is my primary, yes. you know, training mode. Yep. So we have performance again, this is all relating to what Sean could probably do. We have performance benefits that are either going to improve your performance or decrease your likelihood of injury. Mm. So for somebody like Sean, it's probably more important to reduce his risk of injury because he still does have some room to grow with like just running. Like he could still just stick to an endurance program and get better. Yeah. But if you get injured, you can't do that. Correct. So that doesn't mean that I wouldn't recommend doing some other strength training for performance stuff like like heavy strength training plyometric type stuff that Mm. will actually increase your what we talked about earlier actually like your your fiber recruitment and coordination yeah like a higher maximal threshold will allow for less stress at a lower threshold yeah cool 
that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, like you said, my goal is performance when it comes to endurance. So my goal is not general fitness in a, like, like a strength all the way to run. Like I, my goal is not to be a good runner and a good strong lifter. My goal is to be like the best runner I yes. can be right now. Yes. That's my personal. Yeah. So even with that, I mean, one or two days a week of, of good strength training. And it doesn't have to be brutal strength training. It yeah. can be a few sets of strength training that you also do some of your recovery runs on. Yeah. It doesn't have to blitz you and put you out of other training. Right. Cool. And then, so for Adam, um, I, I don't know how much you know about like Adam's style of training right now, but maybe Adam, you could tell Trace a little bit about that and he can kind of speak to your side of things. So I do, I would say my training style is like, a bodybuilding mixed with I, d- I don't do bodybuilding but like a bodybuilding type training focusing yeah. highly on muscle hypertrophy but then uh, I d- I'm a lightweight guy I don't really do heavyweights I'm a very injury prone two ACLs gone in the right knee and then torn labrum in my right shoulder right now so basically I keep it pretty light and then I've been doing two a days where I wake up I do minimum 20 minutes cardio five days a week and then I mix in like an hour hour and a half strength training workout at night Okay, so if you're doing 20-ish minutes of cardio 20 every 40, day. Okay, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Then, then that low-intensity threshold is probably fine. What I would recommend is occasionally tapping into really high-intensity stuff. You just mentioned your labrum and – was it meniscus or ACLs? ACLs. Yeah. So probably not something like sprinting would probably not be the best thing. Although that's personal. I mean, some people can recover from that and be totally fine. Oh yeah, fine. no, I'm, I'm capable of sprinting. And I, okay. I agree. I think that's the one area, like even in my head, I've been like, it's been so cold I and it's dark and at 6am when I wake up to do cardio and I don't want to go yeah. run outside and get hit by a car. Fair. So it's one of those things, but like, that is totally what I'm going to do. I usually do one hard run a week, but I do want to get into like activating my fast twitch muscles again, yeah. just getting like a full on sprint going. Cause like, that's what I miss. Like, and I'm fully capable. Like my leg doesn't affect me anymore. Like, okay. It's like okay. better than it was when I. I'm definitely an anomaly in that sense. I okay. think, yeah. We've talked about on the previous episodes, how most people tear one ACL and kind of accept a life sentence of yeah, like, seriously. no more tennis, no more basketball, yep. no more fun. But Adam was like, Oh, you think I'm not going to be, athletic and have fun like Finally, you're wrong man. i'm gonna have more fun and be more athletic <laughs> i'm more fun ever. now <laughs> <laughs> yeah so definitely i mean sprints assuming you're healthy and you're not gonna tear a muscle doing it probably the best exercise exercise modality that i think anybody could do i think sean could benefit from sprints i benefit from sprints you'd benefit from sprints world's strongest man would benefit from sprints it comes down to both that muscle activation that we've already talked about a little bit mm. and really taxing the energy systems. Yeah. So like as far as if you could if you could do a 10 second sprint, rest for 50 seconds and do that for 10 minutes. So only 100 seconds total sprints. Yeah. That's one of the it's probably the most time efficient quote unquote full body workout that I could give. And I probably want to faint. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so the the good thing about it is that your energetics are going to hold you back so like you're not going to go to the point of fading fainting because you can't you're automatically going to have to dial back the intensity because you don't have the energy that's i mean gross. i'm not saying it, it's easy but yeah no, that is cool though <clears throat> that's cool so, so like i'm sorry oh no go ahead Adam. just brief question so like if, if somebody were to be like 
like I have a hill that's readily available to be ran. Is that doing interval sprints on a hill versus interval sprints on flat? Like, is that just like activating different muscle groups or is that like, I guess, limiting your ability to like hit max, like speed capacity, like your maximum capacity of speed. Cause obviously you're at an incline. Like, do you have any opinions on that or recommendations on, this is like a personal question for me, like mm-hmm. are hill repeats just as effective or would you say starting off just doing flats would be more beneficial? I would say for most people, hill hill repeats are better. Okay. If you are an actual athlete that is either like a team sport athlete or obviously a sprinter, but that's an obvious one. Like if you're a team sport athlete playing on flat ground, then flat ground is going to be better. But from a, a cardiovascular metabolic muscle perspective, the hill sprint is going to be a lot better. Mm. And that's and arguably, nice. arguably um, a lower risk of injury, even though there's technically more tension on muscle having a slower turnover of the muscle is probably safer so like a dead out sprint on flat ground there's so much rapid contraction and relaxation that your muscles and an untrained person can almost get confused and and get torn or pulled or whatever Mm. cool that was my question sweet that's awesome yeah so for for you recommendations for you tap into that high intensity cardio metabolic but also the, the fast twitch fibers cool because when he does like because let's say you know there's two different types of like running mm-hmm. i guess or like two different types of endurance where you this in like the difference between you know track and field and olympic marathoning or the difference between like a fall cross-country if you will season in rowing where in, in rowing the season is based around a longer distance race in the fall and a short distance race in the spring, which is also what obviously high school cross country and track kind of revolves around that rotating schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, maybe we could look into the history yeah, of that, I don't know exactly why. but I do. there's a huge difference between the distance muscle fibers being recruited mm-hmm. and the sprint muscle fibers being recruited, but it's all under the umbrella of cardiovascular endurance. Yes. Correct. Yes. So, Yes. Short answers. Yes. Yeah. I was just going to say for indoor track, I believe the reason why the distances are weird is because the track's smaller. It's 200 mm-hmm. meters around rather than 400 meters mm-hmm. around, which yeah. usually just affects like the distances. So if you're used to running like 110 hurdles, you're going to be running a 55 hurdle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. But I could be, there could be like some crazy Roman history about it that we're like, <laughs> <over>. so, <laughs> who knows? Something with the Greeks and the Romans. Yeah, they're like, no, actually, the bulls were chasing them. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I do think there's funny, like, cultural, like, we we take a lot for granted when it comes to, like, especially, I think there's so much around a marathon that I would love to debunk for mm. people. Like, why? It's so arbitrary. Like, 26.2. Like, why is that a long distance? Or why are we running that far at all? You know, like it's, it's so just like somebody, somebody figured that the yeah, the guy who ran in Greece from uh, whatever city it was to the city of marathon, mm-hmm. it was like, Oh, it was 26.2 miles. And now all over the country and the world, people run exactly 26.2 yeah. miles for what reason? Yeah. I mean, because of a story, like yeah. it's just and really interesting. It's not even as far as I'm aware, it's not even confirmed that that's actually a true story. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, we do have these ideas about fitness and about like what a threshold or a benchmark should be based off of 
a story that might not even be true, yeah. right? And I'm not saying that marathons are bad, but I'm just saying like why we should question why is that the benchmark, mm-hmm. you know? Which and, is another reason why I love the, what I call concurrent training, not just I call it, but concurrent yeah. training. It's like, people say you shouldn't be able to do that, but you why? can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what you mentioned before is like such an important takeaway and hopefully like something really valuable we can give the listeners today is that the idea that you can't lift and have good endurance is not true but there is like an intentionality behind your goal mm-hmm. right and so like for an a-, a normal person an average person who has no desire to run 100 miles or even be competitive running 100 miles then they don't have to like throw lifting out the window nope. to you know pr in a half marathon or run a turkey trot every mm-hmm. thanksgiving or have a good time or you know bike and run with their friends like those kinds of things are exactly. not mutually exclusive yep exactly yeah that, that last point that you just said especially it's so funny that all of these people i mean i can speak for college age males we all <laughs> want to like optimize everything to the point where like we can't go for a run with our friends if our goal is strength yeah like, that blows my mind to me that you're willing to give up that fellowship and that beneficial hardship with your friends yeah because you might lose three grams of muscle in your quadriceps (laughs) yeah because you won't look as good for your next photo shoot yeah yeah i did that actually is a good segue because i did write down one thing where you guys were talking about functional fitness and like how it's like obviously people focus on a lot of the things you see in the mirror like the your pecs and your biceps and you're like dang dude i look so jacked and my traps are up to here and (laughs) but i do think there is a certain extent of it where it's like Yes, that's like shouldn't be the optimal goal with everything. But then at the same time, it's like one of the best hooks into the world of Mm. fitness in general. Yeah. Starting off as like a basic high school kid walking into a gym, just throwing weights around, not knowing what I'm doing. It's like getting to the point where and the thing you guys talked about, too, where you're talking about, okay, the low hanging fruit. And then you went all sciencey, and it was crazy and it was awesome. Like my <laughs> translation, that was, that was newbie gains basically. Yes. Yep. So yeah, exactly. Dumbing it all down. So it's like newbie gains. <laughs> and then also the benefit of like bodybuilding. I think it's like, I started seeing my first newbie gains and of course you see it in the mirror and you're like, dude, like what the heck I got like pecs yep. and like, oh my gosh, I got biceps. And then you basically start going down the rabbit hole slower and slower. And then eventually you come to the point where I am, where I'm not really dude bro lifting anymore. I'm more like trying to make sure I'm as mobile and as flexible as possible while maintaining a certain level of strength training that allows me to do like my daily tasks as well as above and beyond that. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. as much as it's like, a, oh my gosh, like, yeah, I agree. Bodybuilding is not optimal. If your lower back's going to be so tight, you can't even tie your shoes properly. It's like, I think most people who have done bodybuilding have been there too where it's like, this is so not worth it at the moment. Mm. But I think that's where like a lot of people are going to start. And I don't want anybody to shy away from that. Just no, definitely it's like whatever. I mean, we all, we could say this about any of our strat modalities. Like we could bash Sean for saying, not, I mean, he doesn't say this, but like running a hundred miles is probably not the best way to get healthy. No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> but it, you find something that, the trade-off is well worth it. Yes. You prepare for it well. Yes. And the big thing, you could probably speak to this more if you want to, but like it changes your whole lifestyle. Yes. Yes. I think I love what you brought up, Adam, because I mean, Trey said it at the beginning, whatever gets people moving, it doesn't matter. It yes. really, 
I mean, assuming it's not like illegal or dangerous, yeah. like I don't really care. Like it, you, you pick your poison, <laughs> pun intended. Like, um, yeah, running a hundred miles, I can confirm when I finished grandson last year, I felt ill. I felt like I had got the flu you know I did not feel good <laughs> not like you feel when you do like an eight mile run and you get that nice run time from like two to six miles two to seven miles and then it kind of starts to taper off and you finish and you're like wow I feel so good you know or when you hit that lift where you didn't lift too much you didn't lift too little you hit that sweet spot and it just like it felt good and I think what's interesting is like from a science perspective that sweet spot is probably actually what's best for us, right? Usually, yes. Usually, That's why, like the the pump feels so good. Like there is some sort of signaling when you have yeah. a good a good pec pump. Like this feels good. There's yeah, probably it, it's reinforcing that. that yeah. Like this is a positive thing, right? Yeah. And when it feels horrible, maybe not all the time because running isn't always easy and lifting isn't always fun, and you don't always want to like wake up when your arm goes off at six a.m. Right? Like there is a there is like a there's an attitude element to it, but like when I, when I was really injured last year and I could hardly run, um, you know, the way I was training, it was like everything in my body was telling me like, you need to stop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you need to not do this to us yep. anymore. Like I like, like I, again, like I said, putting kind of like personality to the muscles and to my body, it's like my body was telling me this isn't working for mm -hmm. us. Right. And a lot of us, younger men especially will push through that mm -hmm. right and to the point of injury and that's when we we'll talk about overtraining again um but yeah i think what you said adam like whatever gets people you know into the gym whatever gets you outside whatever gets you if it's a tread if you start with a treadmill and you get to running 100 miles on trails like to me you've you've like you've improved your life a yeah. hundredfold yeah. right but again like there is a trade-off yep. and it's like I think that's also kind of a, a life truth as well of maybe this can be our final closing topic trace, but um, kind of the, the trade-off between stimulus and rest, right? Mm -hmm. The stimulus is what we're talking about with the, the scientific terms of adaptation and hypertrophy and all those things. So we're going to the gym, picking up weights because it stimulates some kind of reaction chemically in your body. And that stimulation produces a result. And that result is some combination of fatigue and then like a strengthening component, right? Mm -hmm. And so what would you say, like, how do we strike a balance between with whatever kind of training, um, like the, the proper stimulus, right? That sweet spot mm -hmm. where it feels good. You knew you did something hard, but it wasn't over the top. It wasn't overstressing, but uh, that spot. And then like, okay, I'm getting enough rest that that actually makes me healthier, not just fitter mm -hmm. or stronger. It actually makes me more healthy as a person. Yes. So this is an impossible question and it could be a 10 hour lecture. <laughs> so we'll categorize it into, we'll, we'll stick to the same strength training and endurance training just for, for ease of communication. Yeah. There's this, it's a model that is pretty scientifically backed. It's just called the fitness fatigue model. So if you work out, your fitness is going to temporarily decrease and fatigue is going to temporarily increase. Right. Makes sense, right? You go do 100 push-ups. And normally that it's a it's a little graph that basically goes like this. They separate and then 
fatigue finishes first and fitness carries on. So we say like fitness is more loyal than fatigue. Mm. So on the strength side, we'll just say we do squats on, on Monday. We're losing a little bit of fitness, accumulating a lot of fatigue. Yeah. Normally, and there's so many variables to this, so we're going to speak very generally. Normally, it's going to take about at least two to three days for that fatigue to be gone to the point in which we can train again and still super compensate. So basically still get better. Yeah. So the whole idea is we need enough frequency. So we need to stimulate a system enough, often enough to continually improve without obviously running yourself into the ground. Right. So typically for things that are like strength-based and hypertrophy-based, like weight room kind of stuff, Mm-hmm. normally again speaking very generally you're going to want about three days recovery in between that and that's going to be enough time for you to acquire your fitness yeah. and actually increase your fitness slightly and all that fatigue to wear off yeah so it's like a step-by-step model like mm-hmm. you're not going to double your strength in, in one workout you're not even yep. going to you're probably not going to add five percent strength in one workout yep. unless it's like your first workout yeah but it's just these tiny steps over and over and then same kind of thing with endurance training except normally the systems are going to recover faster. Mm. So cardiovascularly, you're going to improve a lot, a lot faster. Like this is probably within 24 hours. Yeah. Your heart and lungs are going to adapt. Your energy systems are going to get better a lot faster. You still are going to have to, it's a general term, but you're still going to have to clear out fatigue, whether that's byproduct from metabolism or whatever. The the caveat with that is especially when you get into, so like cycling, rowing, a lot of that stuff you recover from very quickly, mm. but things like running and especially trail running where there's a lot of impact, it, it's going to be a lot more taxing on your actual tissues. So your actual muscles, bones, ligaments, tendons, yeah. and that tissue tolerance is going to take a long time to get better. They, mm. the Most of the studies show it takes about six times as long and it's actually correlated. There's about one sixth the blood flow to those areas. So about six times as long um, to for your like ligaments and tendons to adapt as it does your muscles. Yeah. Which is a huge reason, right? Why you see young runners, probably like yourself, get really fit really fast and then get injured from an overuse. Because mm. your fitness improves really quickly, but yeah. your, your body just can't handle it after yeah. a certain point. Yeah. Because again, there's a difference between health fitness yes. right yes for sure we all all three of us know that yep. personally yep. um because i think being young ambitious and excited like it's a perfect recipe for yeah you get that stimulation you get that result and then you get excited and you you overdo it yep. right and so so applying that information to my model is basically not basically but how how i see it and a message that i would like to portray to young athletes especially especially young males you probably need a lot less per training session than you think mm. to improve. Yeah. So it really is that big picture getting a tiny bit better with every workout. Yeah. Yeah. Cause for me, I want to make strides in a single month or yes. a single training block. Like, and you know, I have races planned and it's like, okay, how do I, how do I get this much faster mm-hmm. by that time? And it's whatever it takes to get to that point without calculating in how much is going to cost me yes. right in the long term and i think for a competitive performance minded athlete regardless of your sport that might be the most important concept to number 1 wrap your head around and number 2 translate into a personal experience of what my body needs what my sport demands and then 
where that that sweet spot of optimization is is like i mean talk about an incalculable yeah equation right it's it's so hard i mean only you know the best athletes like kipchoge and maybe michael phelps have like have have hit that Mm -hmm. perfectly yeah whatever they're doing they've figured out Mm -hmm. exactly how much rest they need and exactly how much stimulus and they're not resting too much or working out yep. too much they're just hitting it right in the middle yeah and so that's very like performance mindset yes and one good strategy kind of around this whole fitness fatigue thing i talked about taxing specific systems yeah so in both strength training and endurance training we have different styles of training right like it especially in running i know you've been big into like heart rate zones yeah it's so like you can if you target different heart rate zones Technically, there's a ton of overlap between systems, but you're kind of targeting specific systems. Yes. So you can kind of get away with with training every day. And yeah. same thing with strength training. Like depending on how you train. Depending on how you train. Yes. Like if you if somebody says like you need to wait 48 to 72 hours before you hit legs again, normally I'll say that's true, but if I have time for a conversation, I'll say something like, Well, if I did if I did five sets of five squats yesterday, I can go for a jog today. I can do box jumps tomorrow. I can do lunges and kind of hypertrophy type stuff the next day. And then I yeah. can do zone two training the next day. Like technically yeah. you can still, you can overlap. Yeah. You can overlap. Yeah. Like yeah. Is, I mean, to an extent, right? You don't want to begin doing that. Right. But there's different systems that you can train to yeah. help increase your volume and training stimulus without putting yourself, digging yourself into a deeper hole. Yeah. So the message for a non-performance minded individual who is just trying to be healthy and stay active and have has that really truly long long range like plan in mind of like i just want to be fit i don't want to be overweight i want to be able to move um what do you think like the the important like message regarding rest and stimulus is the important message is find balance don't run yourself into the ground yeah you do for health if we really are really are talking health you do need both cardiovascular and strength training and the frequency right? and the frequency yeah i mean typically easy cardiovascular work you should probably and i'm just going to stick to what is defended well in science is that 150 minutes a week of low to moderate intensity which is either walking or jogging yeah something that's not included in that is i do believe that you should assuming you're healthy which most people are you should do something to touch your max heart rate whether it's mm. bike intervals or hill sprints or something just to That's basically keep those systems awake yeah we can, probably not this podcast but we can go deeper into that another time yeah and then the strength training especially as you age you need those fast switch fibers which go yeah. away with aging if you don't if you don't use it you lose it mm. which is interesting it's it's a very simple statement, but it's so true. Yeah, it's actually, if you don't use it, you lose yeah. it. Yeah, that's good. You, you need that strength and speed. If you trip, you need to be able to catch yourself. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Plus sarcopenia, basically the loss of muscle happens pretty fast. Power losses. At what age? Really. Most of the data show around the age of 40, mm. but that's in untrained individuals. So it's... So if you're a lifelong athlete that's not necessarily going to be the yeah same you, thing. you might still lose the same percentage but one percent off of a 350 pound back squat is going to be less detrimental to your health than one percent off a 100 pound back squat that's so true. the higher we can get you in a younger age assuming you can maintain your training 
the longer you're going to have a, a good health and lifespan. Cool. Sweet. Well, I think we covered a huge range of topics. I think we could do a individual podcast, maybe on each of them. Yeah, I really sure. want to have you back on and talk about um, active recovery because we didn't really oh, yeah. talk about that, but that is a huge part of kind of what we already described. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but without, without, any more discussion i want to hear like adam what are some of your takeaways from what we've talked about and just like what you want to drive home from today i asked a lot of my questions in that little like almost half time it was like almost end of second period where it was like we kind of had like a little bit of time so i asked a couple of those but the one thing i definitely did really feel like need like i just from my side of like people that are doing strength training like your muscles recover faster than your ligaments like my word knowing that at an earlier point of my, like when I started lifting would have been great. Like when your buddy asks you to do chest day the next mm-hmm. day and you're like, yeah, my chest feels fine enough. And then your labrum pops. It's like, you know, there's a point where you're like, wow, I'm an idiot. I've been doing this for six years, but once again, it's like your muscles can take more. Yes. But then you got to remember there's those things underneath your muscles that kind of put the whole pieces together. <laughs> Yeah, right. That that aren't as strong. So I think that's just one big point. They're the but... shoelaces. They're keeping them on, the right? Exactly. So I think I think that's one thing that's like huge. It's like you might you could even feel fantastic, but then there's like the underlying factor of like you can't really feel how your ligaments are recovering at the moment. Sometimes you can, but it's not it's more incognito than say yes, muscle sure. muscle fatigue. But sure. yeah, I don't know. I definitely really enjoyed just listening. That was awesome. Super knowledgeable. Uh, I loved a lot of the things you touched on. 150 minutes cardio a week. Oh no, are we lagging? That's pretty easy to do. I mean, you yeah. you already do that, right? It's, yeah, exactly. You know, and that's like the week, a 30 minute wrist walk. Yeah, exactly. And that's like the one thing like I've added like regimentally, like in December. I was doing cardio, but not as intensely, and, and just like as an overall like life mm-hmm. feel. Mm-hmm. I think coming from strength training, you're like, wow, dude, I'm like. I'm crushing it and I'm burning like a ton of calories when I'm in the gym. But in reality, unless you're doing like crazy supersets or circuits, which is what I do a lot of the times, but still at the same time, you're burning less calories than if you're just going like a 30 minute hour walk. Yep. Yep. And it's one of those things like you just don't add up in your head. So I just, I like that you touched on all aspects of it. And I think finding the balance is obviously the key. Mm -hmm. That's such a good takeaway for like the average, the average person who feels comfortable lifting, right. Is like, just throw a half hour walk into your mornings. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you feel what's that so gonna do for you? Amazing. Exactly. I mean, going yeah. outside, your fresh air, burning calories. The thing that people don't understand is like running fast doesn't burn more calories than running slow, and walking actually burns the exact same amount. It's the just only a difference different... is how long it takes, yeah. right? <laughs> walk a mile, burn hundred calories, run a mile, burn the exact same amount of calories. So if you don't like running, start walking. Yeah. And yeah. if you you know as far as if you don't like lifting, find someone who really likes lifting. I don't know. (laughs) I don't like lifting. That's like, I'll be honest. Like Mm -hmm. I, I always feel like I'm, I'm just literally trying to read a different language when I'm in the gym. Well, you probably just haven't found your training style of preference. There's like lifting is like so broad. Yeah. It's like, there's, I mean, yeah. Trace knows it's like there's like 15 million different ways you could lift. You could only touch 15 pound dumbbells and use your body weight, and you could get jacked. It's like exactly. It's just kind of fun. It's good because I have 15 pound dumbbells yeah. sitting over there in my room. So. Also, from something that would help you, Sean, that like 
is going to help your running plus help you get a similar stimulus mm. is what we already talked about those hill sprints it's yeah really high tension really explosive yeah activating those those neurons and muscle fibers that normally just stay asleep mm. cool build your booty dude that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I'm lacking in that area for sure. <laughs> Dude, I'm I my butt's been overgrown lately. Not to get too personal, but like yeah, I've been you doing need to like tone that thing down. Dude, my girlfriend said that. She's like, dude, she's like, your legs look great, but also your butt's huge. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, this has been super fun. Uh Adam, you're a great listener. You proved that today. Thanks, Tracy. guys. Trace knows a lot about science. We learned that today. I really appreciate you taking the time and oh, it was fun. coming out. And I hope we can do some more in-depth conversations. Absolutely. Soon. Yes. But yeah. Thanks everybody for yeah. listening and get out there, get moving. Absolutely. Peace, Peace out, everybody.